Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. Now, we are reasonably upbeat on the outlook for investment markets this year. In fact, they started the year off very strongly into their highs in early February. They, in fact, reached levels that we thought they wouldn't get to for many markets until the end of the year. Of course, we always thought that it wouldn't be smooth sailing. We were going to have a volatile year. There's a bunch of reasons for that. The process of getting inflation back down won't be smooth. The topping process in central bank rates will take time with setbacks along the way, as we've seen recently with the Fed and the Reserve Bank. Recession risks are higher. Raising the US debt ceiling around the September quarter won't be smooth and geopolitical risks around Ukraine, China and Iran are quite significant. So with share markets getting overbought into early February and seasonality turning less positive, shares both globally and in Australia are vulnerable to more of a pullback in the short term. Now this note updates seven key things we think are critical for the investment outlook. The first one, of course, is global business conditions, where the share markets fall back to new lows and resume the bear market in the US and global shares that started last year will be crucially dependent on whether major economies slide into recession, and if so, how deep that is. A mild recession, could just result in a bit of a correction in markets and the recovery continues. Alternatively, a deep recession could be a very different story with potential for new lows. Our assessment is that global growth will be around 25 to 3% this year. Global business conditions indices, which have fallen well below their highs last year, have recently shown some signs of stability, which may be a good sign. Of course, we need to keep an eye on them. One factor helping recently has been the recovery in China as a result of their reopening. So far, so good, but obviously a fair way to go on that indicator at present. Inflation. Now, this, of course, is one of the big ones. A lot continues to ride on how far key central banks raise interest rates, and the path of inflation will play a key role in this. Recently, the news has been somewhat better globally, with several key countries seeing inflation rates roll over. For example, in the US, inflation on the latest numbers at 6.4%, is well down from the 9.1% high in the middle of last year. Of course, it's still too high, and um, recent monthly numbers have been a bit up on the previous month, but the broad trend has been down. Now, our pipeline inflation indicator for the US, reflecting a mix of supply and demand indicators, has been falling, pointing to a further fall in inflation. Obviously, the key is that US inflation, and indeed global inflation, continues to fall. If so, this should allow the Fed to stop hiking rates sometime in the next few months and may in fact find itself needing to cut interest rates from later this year. So obviously inflation is a big one to watch globally, but particularly in the US given it led on the way up in terms of inflation interest rates and of course will likely lead on the way down. In Australia, it's a similar story, but we're lagging a little bit as we've pointed out in recent podcasts. The inflation rate in Australia reached nearly 8% in the December quarter and of course the underlying measures of inflation rose more than expected. And that, of course, has driven, I guess, a more aggressive stance recently by the Reserve Bank. Fortunately, our our pipeline indicator of inflation in Australia is still falling. So that's a good sign. But we do need to see clearer evidence that inflation has now peaked in Australia and that it's starting to fall as the year proceeds. I think we will. But obviously, 
the Reserve Bank is still a bit concerned about that, and for good reason. We certainly don't want to see a rerun of the 1970s, 1980s period where inflation got out of hand. Unemployment and underemployment. Also critical is the tightness of the labour market. Obviously, many central banks have pointed out that the labour market is still too tight, particularly the Fed and in Australia, the Reserve Bank. And that, of course, leads to the risk that inflation, that wages growth will accelerate dramatically, locking in high inflation rates with a wage price spiral, which would make it a lot harder to get inflation back down. Unemployment and underemployment are key indicators of this. Both remain very low in the US and Australia. There's some evidence that labour markets have seen the best and may now be slowing. And if so, wages growth may well start to peak soon. In the US, there's already evidence of that. In Australia, it will take a little bit longer. Now, of course, you don't want things to go too far. You want to see the labour market cool down a little bit, taking some of the pressure off wages, but you don't want to see it cool down so much that you end up with much, much higher unemployment. And of course, that would be associated with a recession. It's a bit of a balancing act on that one. The next indicator to keep an eye on is long-term inflation expectations. The 1970s experience tells us the longer inflation stays high, the more businesses, workers and consumers expect it to, start to stay high. And then they behave in terms of wage demands, price setting and tolerance for price increases, which perpetuates high inflation. The good news is that short term, one to three years ahead, inflation expectations have fallen lately in the US where there's good survey data on this. And longer term inflation expectations remain very low in the US, in fact, just below 3%, which is in the range they've been in for the last couple of decades. Now, this is consistent with 2% or so inflation and suggests the job of central banks should be a lot easier today than, say, in 1980, when the same measure, that long-term inflation index, was running around 10%, and deep recession was required to get inflation back down. I guess the key in all of this is that inflation expectations remain low, and that would mean central banks won't have to raise interest rates as much as they did in the early 1980s to get inflation back down. The fifth indicator to keep an eye on is earnings revisions. Consensus earnings growth expectations for this year are around 11% in the US and around 7% in Australia. They still look a bit too high to us and it wouldn't surprise if we see a bit of downside, but obviously a deterioration on the scale seen in the early 1990s or the 2001-2003 recession in the US and 2008, which is the GFC, would be bad news. So far, so good, but obviously we need to keep a close eye on that. The sixth indicator is the gap between earnings and bond yields. And this is often seen as a indicator of the risk premium that shares offer over bonds and a guide to valuations. Over the last year, rising bond yields weighed on share market valuations. As a result, the gap between the earnings yield on shares and bond yields narrowed to its lowest in the US since the GFC. Compared to the pre-GFC period, shares still look cheap. Australian share valuations look a bit more attractive than those in the US though, helped by a higher earnings yield. Ideally, bond yields need to continue their downwards trend um, in order and earnings downgrades need to be limited in order to keep valuations okay. So that's one to watch. Finally, I reckon it's worth keeping an eye on the US dollar. And this is something we had in our set of indicators last year, about six months ago, when we did something similar to what we're doing in this podcast. The US dollar is a counter-cyclical currency. So big moves in the US dollar are of global significance and bear close watching. Due to the relatively low exposure of the US economy to cyclical sectors, the US dollar tends to be a risk-off currency. In other words, it goes up when there are worries about global growth and down when the outlook brightens. Last year, the US dollar surged with safe haven demand in the face of worries about recession and war and more aggressive monetary tightening by the Fed. Since September, though, it has fallen back as inflation and Fed rate hike fears have started to fall a little bit 
and geopolitical risks have receded a little bit. A further fall in the US dollar would be consistent with our reasonably upbeat view of investment markets for this year, whereas a new upswing would suggest that outlook may be vulnerable. So far, so good, but still a fair way to go in terms of all of this. So I hope that's been of value and that those key indicators or key things to watch um, will be of some use going forward. We started doing this particularly about six months ago and so far there's been some improvement, but obviously we need to see further improvement going forward. So until the next podcast, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform. That way you'll never miss an episode.